Hello and welcome to the Trouble with the Snip podcast. I am Tyler Hayward. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I am joined by Chris Stanton today as Jeremy is still in recovery mode. Rona hit him hard. Let's just say that. Um, but I did talk to him today. He is doing a little bit better. Good deal. Good deal. Um, Jeremy, get well soon, bud. Yeah, definitely. Um, that way I don't have to scrim for backups. No, <laughs> just like, just but, like uh, pit, pit at the quarterback position. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, we'll break that down here in a few. Uh, we're going to talk about some college football playoff too. Um, but first, I do want to talk about this really, really quick because, I mean, I don't know what your schedule looks like. I got a little bit more time today than I normally have. So, uh Let's talk a little bit of basketball first and just the shock factor, really, of both Michigan and Michigan State. Um, it looks like, well, obviously, Michigan State is trending up. They have had a couple close games, games that probably shouldn't have been close to uh, High Point and Northwestern, but they escaped with wins, and one of those was in conference on the road. Um, and then you look at Michigan, just they're eight and six right now, getting blown out by UCF the other night. Um, it, it's really weird because, look, I, I thought Michigan State had potential to maybe turn out the way that they did, but it depended on how quickly they gelled. Michigan, on the other hand, I didn't expect – as good as a lot of other people did, you know. Oh, they're going to compete for a conference championship, blah, blah, blah. I thought they'd finish in that third, fourth spot. But, I mean, they're not even living up to my expectations of it, which was lower than a lot of other people's. And they're struggling right now. They are, but it's it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, their next three games are absolutely huge for their season. Um, isn't it crazy to think that we're in Michigan, Michigan state week that's Saturday and, what? and for, uh, <laughs> Hold up, seriously? Saturday, Saturday, January 8th, two thirty PM at the Chrysler center, they host number 10, Michigan state. Now tomorrow night, uh, they play Rutgers. Uh, and when I say three games, I actually mean four uh, Rutgers at the rack is going to be tough, but they, they host us at home on the eighth. And then turn around on Tuesday, Purdue comes to town. And then on the 14th, they are at Illinois. So I think if they – yeah, that's murderer's row. But if you remember, like look at last year with Michigan State, we needed those big wins at the end to sneak into the tournament. I think for Michigan, they probably are licking their wounds a little bit but saying, hey, you know, if we can knock off the shaky Rutgers team who is at times looks very good and times not, Chrysler is always historically a tough place for us to play. And then with, with Purdue coming in and, and obviously Illinois is not ranked at all or what they were at the beginning of the year. Um, this, this is a huge moment for their basketball season. Yeah. And uh, I know uh, Corbello's still out. I don't know what his status is going to be by that point for Illinois, but if he's out, Michigan's got an opportunity to capitalize on that. Obviously I think, there, I think there's going to be a little bit of fire lit under them for the Michigan State game, so I think they'll be all right there. Does that mean they'll win? I don't know. I've got to look into that. I didn't even know that was this week already. Look, I, mm-hmm. I take I take Michigan State basketball, especially right after football season. 
you know, kind of the coach speak way, just one game at a time. Let me recover from the holidays and given the illness that struck my household, <laughs> um, it's taken a little bit longer than expected. Right. Um, and this is a, this is a screwy big 10 schedule by January 29th. We will be done with them. They come to Breslin on the 29th. So it's pretty, pretty crazy to think that, you know, a lot of times we don't see them until senior day or we don't see them till late in the season, but, uh, yeah. We, we have two tilts with them pretty close together. Yeah, and uh, we'll obviously be here to break all of that down. Uh, we'll break down the uh, – I think Thursday probably would be a good time for – need to come back. I mean, hopefully Jeremy will be back by then. But sure. uh, if not, you know, we'll obviously get it around. But we will definitely talk about that game um, once uh, – Michigan State um, gets past Nebraska, win or lose. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Michigan State's starting to look like they're struggling a little bit too. I don't necessarily know if it struggles as much as, you know, obviously there was a COVID situation during the high point game. You lose your best perimeter defender and you lose your best post defender. And for a team that likes to get out and run and force bad shots – Losing those two guys, I think, just hurt the offense considering they're not exactly the focal points of the offense yet. And uh, this is a weird Michigan State team because it's like last – like watching the game yesterday, I'm just like, all right, can we just leave Walker in? Why is A.J. Hogard coming in and all that type of stuff? And then at the end of the game, I was like – what is Walker doing? Can we please bring Hogart back in? Like, and for as much as people have historically dogged on those rotations, you know, anytime prior to March, this is a team that I think it should be a like. I think Tom Izzo's handling it in a way that a lot of people were hoping that he would, and I think there's actually more room to open things up. And I think there's going to be even more room coming up as Keon Coleman is now a part of the basketball team. And I believe Malik Carr should be joining soon. So you have those two guys who are wings, which is the one spot Michigan State doesn't have a lot of depth uh, coming into the program as well. And look, Keon Coleman was putting up quadruple doubles down in Louisiana. Uh, it was long jumping level. 24 feet and just, just doing yeah. some crazy athletic stuff. Yeah. He, he's a freak. It's going to be interesting to see him play. And at the same time, he's got to recover. Cause he's really, he really came on late, uh, in Michigan state's football season, which we'll talk about in a second. And as did Malik Carr. And so those guys were getting more passes and getting more hits and everything else. And so I'm interesting. I'm interested to see how Tom Izzo tries to pull that rotation in and at the same time give these guys a little bit of time to shine on the basketball court with the Big Ten schedule in full swing at this point. And so, I mean, the job's only going to get tougher for Izzo. Um, But at the same time, you know, it's it's good trouble to have. And just to have that depth. And then also you have a guy like Pierre Brooks who can go out there who looks like 
the only thing holding him back right now is he's got to lose that Carmelo Anthony baby fat, and uh, he'll become a more permanent part of the rotation. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's interesting to see where both these teams are going, and obviously Saturday uh, can change all of that. Um, you know, if Michigan's able to win, um, but when you have a guy like Dickinson, and I just Look, I've not watched much of Michigan basketball. I just don't think he's getting the touches he's supposed to be getting. Right. Their offense doesn't have any of the cohesiveness and the flow that they had last year. He's not getting the touches. Um, he's been more of a focal point this year. Teams are targeting him defensively a little bit more. So it's it's bound to be a frustrating time. And and, and they're allowed they, they to tar- and the thing is is they're allowed to target him because you don't have Mike Smith. You don't have Franz Wagner. You don't have Shondi Brown. You don't have five guys around the court that can bust a three. and Or four guys around him that can shoot a three-pointer and then also have a little bit of one-on-one capability. You, you just don't have that yet. Yeah, some of the super freshmen that came in simply haven't uh, been as good as advertised. And, you know, you, the – what you get out of like an Eli Brooks, uh, not much. The Buffkin is probably the one recruit that's still puzzling to me. Caleb Houston is, is kind of hit or miss. So it's that that's a tough lineup to understand right now. Yeah, and I think part of the deal with freshmen when they come in, I mean, it's a deal with every freshman. I mean, Max Christie's struggling to find a shot right now, and Max Christie's supposed to be like one of the most dead-eye shooters in the class, is freshmen can't shoot because they've always used their athleticism and have been able to create their own shots just at will. And now you got a guy like, you, you know, you have a guy like Eli Brooks, who obviously he's a little older, but he he's never been able to create his own shot. And he's the most consistent shooter they have. And then when you get a guy like Caleb Houston, if he ends up guarding, he ends up coming in, well, now you're going against a bunch of Gabe Browns. You know, these six, seven athletes who can uh, get out and they can close out quick and they can recover when you try to take them off the dribble and stuff like that. And I, th- I think that just the fact that freshmen can't shoot is a big part is a big problem with uh, the Michigan offense because it's very freshman dependent right now already. Um, you can give the ball to Dickinson when help comes. You I mean, obviously, you still have to close out these are Division One athletes, but at the same time, they're not all knockdown shooters, and it just shuts down an NBA-centric offense that Juwan Howard's brought to U of M. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can get it going as well, and I'm curious to see how all of the freshmen do with, uh, you know, Saturday sneaking up very quickly like i said i didn't even know that game was happening um let's turn our attention to football though let's let's (laughs) let's put let's put a bow on this season um i think that uh well you know why i laugh i have have a bone uh, to pick with your with your podcast uh, and you know that i'm aware like i my my spotify wrapped you this is my number one podcast and i listen to many and, and I love the work that you do, obviously. And I think Sean is tremendous filling in. I, I like listening to him. However, you guys could not have been more wrong about the Peach Bowl. But, we'll talk uh, about the Peach it's Bowl. It's your in a show, second. so I'll let you. I'll let we're, you roll. We're closing on the Peach Bowl. 
Okay. All right. We're going to close on the Peach Bowl. Let, I want to talk about the playoff game first. Okay. Because, you know, the Peach Bowl, we can talk and we can talk and we can talk and we can just push it out as long as you and I want. And, you know, and I'm biased because I had a chance yeah. to go down there and experience it. And uh, But go ahead, well, man. That, it's your show. That makes, Roll. It perfect. that makes you perfect for this wrap-up. But uh, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to talk about it just because I can just – we can just put a pin in the Georgia Michigan game and just be like, all right, cool. That was enough talk about that. Um, that pretty much went as I expected to be completely honest. Michigan uh, wasn't ready for the pressure up front. Cade McNamara couldn't make the plays as a quarterback, which that's not a shot at him. I mean, look, he's, he's Kirk cousins is what he is. He's a game manager. No and, doubt yeah, about he, it. He's a game manager. He has occasional, Moments where he can take off and run. Uh, I was impressed at the end of the game with J.J. McCarthy. Um, but at the same time, I, underst- I understand why Tarbaugh didn't play McCarthy. And I, that's one thing I'm sick and tired of is Michigan fans saying, oh, well, we should then play McCarthy all year. We, we'd be all right, no matter who was at quarterback. And uh, we should have had him ready to come in, come in in this moment. Whatever. And it's like, okay, cool. I mean, I get he thread the needle between those three Georgia defenders at one point. His next two plays, he overthrew the wide-open receiver by five yards. That's a difference between freshmen and what McNamara is. And McNamara is just a seasoned leader. And I know he didn't play a ton last year, but McNamara was always going to be the guy. He's the seasoned leader. And when you sit there and you put in a freshman – the big moments are still too big for him, even though you try to get him ready for him. You saw what happened during the Michigan State game. He cost him the game. You saw what happened during the Georgia game. Yeah, he made a couple nice throws, but then everything was overthrown. Cade McNamara was still the guy. It was still the right play. And I'm sick and tired of hearing Michigan fans talk, oh, well, if, because Georgia was A, Georgia A is just that much better. B, McNamara is that much better than McCarthy and McCarthy uh, I, I liken McCarthy to Matthew Stafford you know what I mean he's mm-hmm. got all the tools he's got this cannon for an arm uh one thing he's got over Stafford is his ability to run but that doesn't mean you're a great quarterback and your ability to read the defenses and make those timely throws make the big throws on third down do those types of things that's the type of thing that differentiates those guys Matthew Stafford from being in the Hall of Fame which I don't I don't think he should be um but I mean Aaron Rodgers didn't have the biggest arm you know Peyton Manning didn't have the biggest arm all of those guys are better than Stafford and it's not because they've it's not because they just have this cheat code arm like Patrick Mahomes and Matthew Stafford have it's that they're students of the game. They understand it a little bit more. We saw and after the Michigan State-Michigan game, me and Jay Green talked about Jeremy was vehemently disagreed with us. Uh, we were like, this, this is no different than 1999 when everyone was clamoring for Henson because he's this other world talent. But then you have a guy like Tom Brady who made all the right plays still. And once they put him in, that's when the tide started to turn. True freshmen 
are not ready for these moments. doesn't matter. Right. And what Michigan does, they're very simple. And at this point, with their receivers being as thin as what they are, they're not as qualified as a Michigan State or Ohio State. You become one-dimensional. And if you're one-dimensional run-based against Georgia, it's not happening. With the defensive front, with Jordan Davis and the guys that they have up front. By the Michigan way, Jordan Davis just is just amazing match. to watch. Oh, yeah. It's like a refrigerator <laughs> crossed with you know Usain Bolt. I mean, yeah. he's, he's just a freak. Yeah, but you weren't going to run on Georgia. McNamara had to make the plays. He couldn't do it. And then uh, when you look at Michigan defensively, one thing that Jeremy and I were talking about a little bit today as he was hacking up along um, was uh, Georgia came out and they did what Michigan State did and they did what Nebraska did. And that was tempo and use tight ends. And I know, uh, obviously, at the end of the Michigan State game, you know, Naylor and Reed each had massive, massive plays. But, I mean, the the tight end situation for Nebraska, the tempo for Michigan State is what they were doing. And Michigan's defense just had no answer. Yeah, it was pretty clear that they had watched uh, our game footage. I know that Tucker was in contact with the Georgia staff. And just the tempo that Michigan looked confused. There was several plays that even Herb Street pointed to that, you know, Aiden Hutchinson was moving people around. People were, uh, were clearly lost. And in Georgia, it's like playing, uh, you know, the old NCAA football would have been 14 or 13 on, on Heisman mode. You can't be confused. You have to have everything down exactly right. And it was a tall order and, and, you know, Michigan uh, clearly did not improve a lot in those two areas um, from when we played them. They improved in many other ways, but not not with the tempo. And then how Michigan rushes with with the DNs and not much else. I think that that hurt them a little bit. Yeah, and and that's something that Sean talked about too uh, during our preview podcast was that Michigan only gets pressure with two guys. They, they don't get sacks from anywhere else. Li- like, literally, I don't think anybody else on the team has more than one and a half sacks. You know, you got Ajabo getting whatever he had, and you got Hutchinson, obviously, who's a freak in his own right. And so they you try to pressure with just those two guys. Well, you pressure with those two guys. First off, Georgia offensive linemen are a little bit different than anything you're going to see up here outside of maybe Ohio State. Second, and, and I mean, they're more athletic than uh, the brick walls that are Wisconsin, um, who, you know, they can block you, but, if, I mean, you also have the ability to get around on the edge and use your speed a little bit. Um, outside of Ohio State, you're not, you're not going to see linemen like that. And so uh, Georgia, A, handled them better than Ohio State, obviously. But B, they, they got rid of the ball quick. They didn't have these drawn-out plays. They didn't throw a ton of nine routes. They, did, they didn't throw the flies and everything else that, uh, you know, even Michigan State did. And when State was doing it, Peyton Thorne had, you know, four or five hands in his face every, mm-hmm. on uh, every throw. So Georgia was – look, they're, they're, they were just a better team. 
Michigan got completely out coached too, by the way. And that was something that I saw someone put on Facebook. I think it actually was Sean put something on Facebook about the end of the first half. Uh, the clock management was like vintage Kirby smart. Yeah. Well, guess what? He had vintage Jim Harbaugh not showing up for a big game on the other side. I, and, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> if, if how much of this we can put on the coach of the year, Jim Harbaugh and his staff for not mixing it up a little bit. You're, you're, well, first you're not going to win straight first up. First off, are you really the coach of the year? When you're the coach of the year? <laughs> well, I, I say that tongue in cheek, obviously, but I, and I'm not clearly a Michigan fan at all, but, uh, yeah. I, I was expecting more from them. I had a chance to watch the first half on my flight back from Atlanta. And, and I kind of laughed to myself when I saw what Georgia was doing tempo wise and their blocking scheme, but I kind of shook my head at, I expected more. I expected different packages out of Michigan, something that, uh, that wouldn't have been on film. And, and I thought to myself, does this fall on the coaching staff? Sure. Talent is one thing. And, and Georgia is loaded, obviously, mm-hmm. but Michigan's not terrible. They get their no. fair share of, of talented kids too. And I thought schematically I, I we would see more surprises out of them and we didn't. Yeah. And I mean, you, you've got to put it on the coaches because Jim Harbaugh's always been a, you got to do what works type guy. And I mean, you, you saw it in the Michigan state game. He knew he couldn't, he couldn't run the ball on Michigan state. And when they tried, they were very, they, they weren't successful, especially to the level that they expect. Um, but all year long, they also knew they could punch everybody else in the mouth, and they just sat there and handed it off every single time. And so he's stubborn in regard that he's going to stick with what's going to work. And the problem is, is when you have almost a month to prepare, and you're going to plan on running the ball because you know you're not going to be able to throw it. And you know that's no disrespect to Michigan's. Uh, receivers because I think they're very underrated given the loss that they had with Bell this year and uh, just the fact that there were generally low expectations of them to begin with. I think they were very underrated. Now, you're not Michigan State and Ohio State like you mentioned, but you're still you're still quality receivers. And Oh yeah, there's a couple you, guys you, you can play. You, yeah, you knew you weren't going to be able to throw on Georgia, so Georgia knew you were going to have to run it. Uh, you didn't do a lot of things to mix up the run. You didn't throw a lot of screens to your speedy receivers. You didn't get quorum out in space like you probably should have. Like, yeah, I think a lot of this falls on the coaches. And they absolutely need to be held accountable for it because this was their chance. They're losing a ton next year. Yeah, I mean, it helps to get your quarterbacks back. It helps get your running backs back or at least one of them. I'm not 100% sure what the situations are as far as eligibility and whatever else. Transfer but, portal? Uh, yeah. Yeah, speaking of quarterbacks. Uh, but it, it helps to get those guys back. Your offensive line is going to be good still. A lot of your receivers are going to be back. Andrew Anthony is going to be an absolute stud. But Yeah, that one gonna... stings, East Lansing High School. Yeah, but you're losing a lot on defense. You are losing a little on offense, and I think this was their opportunity. And, I mean, old McDonald up there uh, as defensive coordinator, I think that uh, 
he's going to be able to adjust accordingly, but at the same time, you got to have a little bit of talent back there. And I don't know if they're going to have it after losing Hutchinson, after losing Ajabo, after losing Dax Hill. I mean, I think Turner's going to be back, and that's good for them, but they're losing a lot in regards to star power, so we'll need to see how they reload. But, I mean, I, I think I think this does fall on the coaches. You had an extra month. You didn't do anything different. You didn't do anything special. Mm-hmm. You didn't sit there and, you know, to show Georgia anything, really, in regard to how you were going to, you know, put on your dominance, but I mean, I, I don't know. The, the This game wasn't a fair fight. We knew it going into the game. I thought that there were maybe some opportunities if uh, Michigan could mix things up a little bit with Quorum, and they didn't even try to do that, and you know, you still didn't. See, I was expecting some two back sets, maybe Quorum out in the slot, motion him around out of a gun or pistol, make things interesting. They they didn't do anything. And so, yeah, it falls on the coaches um, for not being prepared. But at the same time, Georgia was just so much better. They forced turnovers on like four straight possessions. They didn't even capitalize off of any of them. I don't think they may have gotten like three points off of one. I, I know I could be wrong, but Georgia was just that much better than Michigan. And they didn't even capitalize on those turnovers and they still just blew them out of the water. Yeah, Michigan didn't do what I was hoping that they would from an objective standpoint. I think I thought they could have northwesterned uh, Georgia a little bit. Every time we play Northwestern, they'll pick up those five yards, seven yards. You know, I was expecting you know pass to the schoonmaker for eight yards or a little bit of a quorum out of the back, like you said. Like you're not going to get those huge plays, but take your chunks when you can get it. Move it down the field methodically and stay. And in that the works game. with a guy like McNamara. Yeah, yeah, that that's what I was expecting, and we didn't see it. Yeah, it it it, it was you said disappointing in an objective standpoint, but at the same time, I couldn't be happier with how it went. Well, I probably <laughs> could have, like I said, Georgia could have capitalized on those turnovers, but yeah, so, yeah and the, the clock management at the end drove me nuts. The first uh, that I mean, so, but I was. Uh, yeah, I I, I I wasn't I wasn't impressed with how, like you said, the the, the coach of the year, national coach of the year, didn't uh, he he didn't show out, and you know it was a vintage Jim Harbaugh game in a big game, and you can say what you want, but there's a reason they kept showing those uh, graphics up there of what he's done against ranked opponents and all that type of stuff, and. You mean the same what, guy who was one he's in five done, in his last bowl games? Yeah, and what he's done in his uh, – in what he did this year against ranked opponents and what he did against Ohio State for the last however many years and what he's done against Ohio State this year, there's a reason that graphic came up, and it's because Jim Harbaugh doesn't show up in big games, and he didn't show up in this one either. Um, you know, let's put that pin in it. Let's talk about something we enjoy talking about. Well, look, okay, I enjoy talking about Michigan losing, but let's talk about some <laughs> Michigan State football. Uh, Michigan State, uh, you were you were down there, obviously. Um, you know, before we break down the game, what was that experience like? I know, yeah. First off, 
what was that experience like from a Michigan State standpoint? Because I know you love everything about Atlanta. <laughs> I know that's that's your uh, that's my home away plan. from home. That's your uh, Billy Madison tenure plan <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, you're not going to end up as like a Hooters girl or anything. But <laughs> um, what what was that experience like from fans' perspective? From the get-go, it was tremendous. Um, the flight from Metro, it, it was kind of ironic. It, sadly, a lot of flights obviously have been canceled and because of COVID and weather situations and everything. But in our terminal, I noticed there were two flights. There was one to Fort Lauderdale, which was loaded with maize and blue. And then the one that was going to Atlanta was was green and white all the way. It looked like a like a spirit bus for a, you know a, a district basketball game or something it was crazy like that um i happened to have president stanley on my flight down there had a chance to talk with him briefly but michigan state fans showed up um i would tell you that the mercedes-benz stadium was probably 70 30 it didn't always come off like that because pen or pen uh pit gave out the uh the yellow towels and sometimes that shows up a little bit better on tv and I don't know how loud we came across on TV, but um, the Michigan State sections were loud. We were into it. And the players and coaches, even in their postgame, um, were, were very direct in thanking the, the fans for showing out for that game. That game mattered. It mattered on a lot of different levels. It was a great experience, obviously, for me personally and for my family that I had a chance to take to the game and kind of indoctrinate them a little bit to, uh, to Spartan culture. But uh, – fantastic. I would do it all over again. I would still do it if we had not come back. Um, obviously it made it a little bit sweeter, but, uh, <laughs> the, the whole experience, the fan fest was, was okay. Uh, you and I had, uh, experienced the fan fest at the big 10 title game before it was on par yeah. with that, but everywhere walking around downtown Atlanta and the shopping areas, uh, green and white was flowing left and right. And, and it was, it was great to see how well we represented. Yeah. It- it sounded like there were a lot more Michigan State fans, especially uh, given some of the calls that happened uh, throughout the course of the game. Um, one of the things that you didn't get a chance to see, obviously I filled you in on it a little bit, was the uh, Kenny Pickett situation and the fact that they were <laughs> just showing him up in the booth. Nah, stop talking about uh, his yeah, that absence sounds really from bizarre. the game. But yeah, just to be up in the booth, I think, is kind of a weird thing. Um, but then you look at Michigan State's situation. You're without Kenneth Walker. You're without your two best blockers, Kevin Jarvis, who just declared for the NFL draft, which boggles my mind. Um, let's actually talk about that first, and then I'll continue with uh, my thought process. Like what, what's your thoughts on this? This guy has played four positions on the offensive line. He's really, really good at guard. He's okay at tackle. He got pushed out to tackle this year with Jared Horst's absence. Um, what do you make of that decision? My first question is who's giving him this advice? What, yeah. what, uh, what, what profile does he truly have to be a, a long-term solution at the NFL level? He's serviceable for us. He's very good, and I'm sad to see him go, and I wish him the best. 
But I shake my head at, you know, I, I, you can't compare, you know, Deontay Davis or, or Maurice or, you know, any of these, uh, these guys, but um, yeah, it, I'm, that's kind of a head scratcher. He's not that dominant. This is not Flozell Adams we're talking about. Yeah. And, and I could definitely see him going undrafted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he, he could be a late round pick because of that versatility, but um, and that just completely throw, threw me off. Um, I had guard. He was really dominant. He was a freshman All-American. So um, maybe that's what he's doing. He's just tired of being forced to play outside because of lack of depth. In regard but to did the ta- he re- tackle position, but did, in your mind, did he really improve that much over his time at Michigan State? Did he improve that much? Yeah. When he was at guard, when he was at left guard, I felt he was as good as most of them in the country. Um, right guard, I thought he, he didn't look like he improved much, but he did improve uh, from that freshman All American level. And tackle was there. Were, there were some games he looked really good, and others. He and so, I'm, I mean, I don't think he improved that much, uh, but I think he got a wide range of experiences that may be helpful. Um, sure, what he lacks that, in consistency, he has the flexibility, and maybe that's what he's hearing from, from the NFL people. Yeah, but... Yeah, it's an interesting uh, decision nonetheless, but no horse, no Jarvis, no Crouch, no Hunt, essentially no Matt Coughlin because Michigan State had opportunities to kick field goals. And, uh, um, which probably could have sealed the game up a little bit quicker and a little bit tidier. Um, obviously, no Kenneth Walker. Um, I think I was overall given all of that, largely impressed with what Michigan State did. And you can sit there and be like, oh, well, they played a third string quarterback. Yeah, well, the second string wasn't, and he did get him a couple touchdowns. Like, but, uh, second yeah, off, I, I don't care. I don't, I don't care what quarterback is in against Michigan State secondary. You should be able to light him up. Um, I fielded that one from Michigan fans all day long. And it, you know what? We line up with, with, with who's coming through that door. And it's Michigan yeah. State could, couldn't do anything about who Pitt chose to put on the field. And I think one of the other losses that is not being talked about a whole lot is Pitt losing their offensive coordinator. The, the guy yeah. that's been pushing the buttons and, and putting Pickett and Addison and some of these guys in position, that was a huge loss for them. And, and watching that unfold, um, thankfully, I, I had a chance to view the game from two different viewpoints. My original seats were in the pit section, as you know, and uh, some of the uh, surrender Cobra folks that have been pictured from pit are actually uh, sat yes. just down from me. So I, I moved to the Michigan State section for the second half. But as I watched the game unfold, their third string quarterback was rattled. And, and at the end of the mm-hmm. game, okay, let's throw on Michigan State because they don't guard well, to, you know, they don't defend well in the secondary. That clearly <laughs> didn't work. That making him throw to beat us, you know, Cal Halliday had something to say about that. And yeah. just a well, bizarre finish coaching-wise from them. Well, well, he was absolutely rattled, and that led to the throw because Slade 
and oh, it was so nice to have Barrow back. Mm-hmm. Um, Slade, Barrow, Panashu, Beasley, all four of those guys were getting after whoever the quarterback was. That offensive line was not ready for the defensive front of Michigan State, first and foremost. Second, you can absolutely – so you don't run on that team because Michigan State's obviously got a really, really good rush defense. Um you do have to try to throw it, but you've got to also put your quarterback in position to make successful throws. And I mean, Pitt's best throw was, excuse me, that uh, 12 yard curl to Jordan Addison, who cut it against the grain, lost four yards on it, and just outran everybody. <laughs> that, that was their best play. Mm-hmm. And when you break down everything like when they needed to start taking mm-hmm. shots down the field and all uh i mean he just didn't have the time to do it uh and i, I don't want to hear stuff about pickett being out we were out the best player or excuse me michigan state was out the best player in america and i mean you know you win the maxwell voted on by maxwell award winners and uh coaches and stuff like that that to me indicates best player in america not <clears throat> media presence right. but right. anyways and i digress chairs at running yeah. back definitely yeah. show that yeah and when you don't have horse than jarvis it makes you uh running the ball that much harder um and for and so in the first first half this is what i saw Pey- peyton thorne obviously he didn't play his best game you know the last eight minutes may have been his best eight minutes but he uh he he didn't play his best game, but at the same time, I don't think all the blame goes on him. I think there's a situation in there where you're sitting there and you're running the ball against the number six rush defense in the nation without your two best blockers, without the best player in America, and you're getting and Jordan Simmons is getting stuffed, Harold Joyner is getting stuffed, Elijah Collins is getting stuffed, all these guys are getting stuffed, and you're pretty much putting him in uh, the Brian Lewerke situations that me and Jeremy always talked about on the show, and that is run, get a yard, run, get a yard, yard and a half, and now you're stuck in third and eight, third and seven. And Pitt has the second most sacks in college football, and you're going to let them pin their ears back and get after Peyton Thorne without Horse and without Jarvis. And that just made that just put him under a lot of pressure, I think, and that made him try to throw uh, with quicker releases, which leads to passes that go short, which is what we saw a lot of. And then, uh, he finally got a couple moments where he started to overcorrect a little bit and started overthrowing guys. And then finally they just did what they were supposed to be doing the entire time, which is throw the ball to Reed and Naylor, throw the ball to the best receiver combination in the big 10, not in Columbus. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did. And once they started doing that, and it opened things up for Carr, and it opened things up for Hayward, which, by the way, glad he got a touchdown in his hometown, rest in peace, Ironhead. Uh, it was a nice finish uh, to his career. Yeah, absolutely. And it was also nice because Michigan State's tight end position. I don't know what the depth looks like, but God, Lee Carr looks so good. 
anyways, I, I digress. Um, but then once they started throwing it on first and second down, and you started to give yourself options whether you wanted to run or pass, that's what opened it up for Michigan State, and I think that's what you're going to have to see a lot of next year pending the stability of the offensive line and who knows maybe Jalen Berger turns into a Berger turns into an absolute beast and can handle his own that being said Michigan State's future looks very bright with or without Reed coming back you'll still have Naylor you'll still have Mosley you'll have Foster you'll have uh there's there's another name in there I'm missing uh oh boy foster Uh, mostly um fitzpatrick is that what i'm thinking of lockett yeah i feel like there's one more but like it's it's big i feel like it's bigger name than what i'm thinking of but foster mosley and naylor at least and i think that um that's absolutely huge and i think panthorn can uh absolutely play off of that yeah there's a lot to be excited about and i love the way that our defense stood up in that game you know we coming into the game obviously the numbers are out the window when you don't have picket and you don't have their their coordinator but this was a high power offense it's not like that they were missing all of their pieces and for some of our young guys to step up and and make some plays i was so proud of of our much maligned defense especially the secondary um, and the pressure that we got up front, I, I was most proud of their efforts. Yeah. And look, Halliday, a freshman All-American, um, obviously made the play that sealed the game. Uh, you know, you showed pressure on the third string, string quarterback who was getting pressured all day. Then you drop a linebacker in the coverage. And, I mean, you know, it was lunchtime for Halliday. Um, I Look, I, I said I said something to Sean uh, the other day. I said, Ronald Williams is underrated. And part of it's because he played like absolute garbage at the uh, beginning of the year. Well, then they started throwing to him still in the middle of the season, and he started making the plays. And then you just avoided him. Like, he's not making the deflections. He's not getting the interceptions. He's not doing all those types of things that everybody looks at for corners and stuff like that. But he uh, – he was always he he his name just wasn't called, which is the second best thing you can be for a corner. It's just not have your name called because mm-hmm. your name's getting called, you're getting beat, or you're making the big plays. He wasn't making the big plays, but he wasn't getting beat either. And so that just means he was a either shadowing this guy or b everyone saw uh, Kimbrough throughout the course of the season was like, no, nah, I'm just going to throw it at him all day. But between him and Snow next year, I I like that. I like Halliday there. Uh, Slade and Barrow are both going to be back. And I, I think the middle of that defensive line is going to be just absolutely studly. Uh, the defensive end position, you're, Michigan State's losing Beasley. They're losing Panachuk. Uh, but there are definitely there, there are transfers coming in that can play those positions. You also have a, another transfer linebacker coming in. And maybe he uh, gets bumped over to one of those uh, end spots. Brandon Wright was a huge name uh, that I've kind of seen over the last three weeks. All of these guys played really, really well. Um, Obviously, Lowry uh, had some issues. Uh, Henderson and Groves had some issues. But you gave up that first possession mostly due to a quarterback that you 
didn't know could really run the way that he could. Uh, that was one of their touchdowns. Another one was a scoop and score um, off a of Peyton Thorne fumble. Like, other than that opening possession and that scoop and score, like, I loved how the defense played. You only gave up seven points outside of those two possessions, outside of those two uh, touchdowns. And so, I, uh, yeah, I, I, lo- I like the way the defense played. Now, the one problem I have with it and the one problem that I've talked about with uh, – Sean is it's an ACC team still, and I I don't care the ACC's trash, <laughs> you know. And oh well, if they had Pickett, they're the ACC champs. You lose Pickett, maybe you're not. And it's like, yeah, well, if you're in a maybe you're not situation in the ACC, maybe you're not a quality football team. That being said, Michigan State was missing a lot from that team from from a a talent standpoint as well. Uh, they weren't one of the two best teams in the Big Ten this year. That was Ohio State, and that was Michigan. Uh, you know, if Michigan State holds on to that Purdue loss, maybe I'm changing my tone a little bit about that. But so you're okay. looking at third. You're looking at you're looking at a third at least a third place Big Ten team knocked off the ACC champion. And they did it missing a ton. And so it's it sucks that it had to be Pitt. I would have rather have played I would have rather have seen Michigan State play Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh not because it's a bigger bowl, because all New Year's six bowls that aren't playoffs are the same, but because Notre Dame is that helmet game. That would have been nice to see. And look, living in South Bend, maybe I'm a little biased in regards that I wanted to see it this year more than any other year. And I don't think Notre Dame is that good anyways. Uh, and it, it's it's kind of weird because now that I'm saying it, I realize how hypocritical it sounds. Oh, well, I don't want to play the ACC. I want to play Notre Dame. Well, it's the same freaking thing. Yeah, nor Notre Dame's that right now. Well, let me ask you then: how do, how do you improve? How do you how do you get better? How do you get players on the field who can do that? It's through two ways: recruiting and the transfer portal. Obviously, we know the value that Tucker puts on the transfer portal, but recruiting, and this is where I have a huge bone to pick with with, with you and Sean, is we have eight commits signed from the state of Georgia. Georgia mm-hmm. is the most important state for us outside of Michigan, but you could argue with the talent that, that comes out of the South, Georgia may be more important than our home state. You know, I saw an interesting stat today of the number of players on the Georgia team from Georgia, the number of te- uh, players from Alabama on Alabama, th- those teams recruit nationally. They, they get the best players in there. You know, you look at, you talked about uh, the great thing of having Simeon Barrow back. Where's he from? Grovestown, Georgia. You know, you look up and down our roster, Georgia is so important for us. And for us to go down there, win that game the way we did, national television, in front of those recruits, I had mentioned to you um, off the air that that I I saw a variety of our recruits all there in the front row. I recognized their faces from the the signing day specials and things. We, We are a brand in Atlanta, Georgia, one of the most pivotal football areas that we can get into right now. And, and to say that that game didn't matter, no, it's not a playoff game. Of course not. Would we love yeah. to be in the playoff? Sure. But for this team coming off of two wins, supposed to win four and a half, 
that uh, the, the much maligned, uh, you know, all the question marks from the, the transfer portal, this was the best possible outcome. And mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it would have been fun to play for the megaphone and, and to play Notre Dame because they, they are <laughs> the fighting Irish and everything. But this was the best case scenario for us and very valuable. And that's not yeah. just me as an Atlanta mm-hmm. fan. Oh, talking. I'm not. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not killing the value of it i'm saying that there was just more that i felt could have been hit and i felt that michigan state should have been in the fiesta bowl uh that and when you look at the fiesta bowl the marquee the michigan state versus Notre dame carries a little more than michigan state pit and so that that's my complaint about it i don't have a problem with going down to atlanta and making a name for yourself i have no problem with that whatsoever i think i think the south is where you have to recruit i'm just saying yeah like i i was just saying you know if, if you're giving me the choice you know send me out to arizona and, and if you're giving um, me the choice i still say win the game in atlanta and you're recruiting hotbed um play a play an underman pit team i I think we we obviously had an easier time with Pitt than I think we would have had with Notre Dame. We we could probably argue that all day long, but for me, um, yeah, Notre Dame's cool and all, but I'm I'm glad we went to the Peach Bowl. I'm glad we won, and oh, yeah. I want to further this pipeline. I I, th- I think that could be very very um, profitable for us moving ahead. Yeah, and I mean that that's the thing. Michigan State's marketing program. Or football and uh, their social media and everything else that they do, um, in regard to that is just like I said, like I told Sean the other day. Given the funds available, that it's not Alabama, it's not Michigan, stuff like that. Given the funds available, it's second to none. And uh, I, th- I think if Michigan State had the funds available, which obviously they have quite a few funds uh, rolling around somewhere, we don't know what what exactly is going to go into marketing, and if that's going to expand that whatsoever. Michigan State's not to be played with anymore. And I think that, uh, you know, going down to a place, I, I think going down to Georgia, I think this kind of put a cap on the recruiting um, down there. And what I mean by that is you lost Tavares Tillman, who was big in recruiting down there. You lost him to, it, it was Georgia Tech, right? If I'm not mistaken. I you, so. you lo- yeah, you lose him to Georgia Tech. And he was the big Georgia recruiter, and he he was the he was the guy down there. Uh, Mel Tucker obviously has his own ties to Georgia, and then winning this game down there, I I think it sealed it. As in Georgia is our, I mean, Georgia for Michigan State, much like it is for you, is home away from home, and so I think that uh, I think that was big. And I think I think there were still it's just not as big as what it could have been being Notre Dame on the national stage. And that that's my only complaint about it. I have no problem with solidifying that pipeline. I have no I mean, the best cornerback I've ever seen in college football. Uh you know, uh came Dark from Georgia. Yeah, and you know you can say what you want on bias or whatever, but he has a lower yards per attempt at him than Deion Sanders did in college. So I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And, and, and let, so let's not sleep on the fact that uh, 
Ephraim Reed, we pulled him back from Georgia Southern. Yeah, it, it hurts to lose Tillman, and he did a wonderful job pulling talent out of that state. But there's a reason why Ephraim Reed ended up at Georgia Southern and then back at Michigan State, that he has some connections to the area too. So I, we'll be all right, especially, you know, winning that game down there in front of the – and I can tell you one thing too, a lot of the neutrals at that game were rooting for us. You know, that extra noise. I saw a lot of people in UGA gear. I saw a lot of people in, in various, uh, you know, nondescript gear were, were cheering for us. Michigan State is a name in the state of Georgia. And that can only do good things for us. Yeah. And uh, obviously we'll have to wait to see how that develops over time. And Tucker's recruiting. Uh, you said it, though. I mean, eight players uh, from this year's class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, coming out of uh, – Georgia so yeah I, I think it was big uh, I, I was impressed with the way Michigan State played um, uh, let's just say the second half when uh, Jay Johnson decided to throw the ball you know on first down and mix things up a little bit um, you know it's easy it's easy to run on first down get stuff then turn around hand it to Walker again and let him break one for 56 yards but um, it's a little harder with Jordan Simmons back there and uh you know, he, he made the adjustments just in time for uh, Michigan State to walk out of there with a win. It's uh, another New Year's Six Bowl win, uh, the second one for uh, Michigan State. And uh, outside of uh, the Count Bowl in 14. So, yeah, it, it was a good year uh, all in all for Michigan State. I mean, really, when you when you look at the season, when you look at the expectations for both Michigan and Michigan State, I mean, and you have to grade them. You're a teacher, and I know you were just doing some grading a little bit ago. Uh, you, you have to give them. You have to give both schools an A plus, though. Yep, I, I have to take off my green and white and my feelings for for the maize and blue, and and you have to tip your cap. You know it. How much better Michigan got after the Michigan State game was impressive. Week by week by week, they improved in all facets. Those wide receivers that you had mentioned, obviously, you know, Anthony is going to be just a gem for them. But Sanistrill and and Schoonmaker, obviously, is a tight end. they, they got it done, and, and props to them. And, and File, I hope that uh, you're back healthy soon and you get a chance to, uh, to talk about your football team a little bit and take joy in them because I'm sure overjoyed with, with, our, with our Spartans. We, we did some pretty amazing things. For this team to get to, to 11 wins is, is unbelievable. And to keep Paul Bunyan home, even better. Yeah, uh, 3-0 in trophy games. Yes, I mean, sir. That's, that's a – big one and you know uh you know you get indiana you got the old brass Petunia, you uh got the land grant trophy at penn state and then obviously you got paul bunyan still in east lansing so just missing that megaphone man yeah it would have been nice to play him this year uh yeah that's that Notre that Nerd Dame talks just a very very salty spot for me right now. Huh? <laughs> Living down here in South Bend, but um, yeah. Look, Tucker went three and zero in uh, the trophy games. He uh, you know beat the biggest rival. Uh, obviously, he there there was a no show against uh, Purdue, and uh, no one showed up against Ohio State. But there was a 
I mean, you look at how they would bounce back and handle business against Penn State in the weather that they had in that situation against a really good Penn State rush team and how they punched them in the mouth. And then you look at how they were able to – I know I make fun of the ACC. You knocked off the ACC champion. And, uh, you know, you, you put it on them without a lot of key pieces. You know, it wasn't just one or two guys missing. There was a handful and then some that were missing. And uh, when you don't have a consistent kicker, um, it's it becomes a – and I know uh, Coughlin was putting a lot of bad spots from Tucker over the last two years. But he got better to a point where I was comfortable with him going out there finally. And, uh, I mean, like I said, Tucker did put him in some shaky spots and like 55 yarders. Like, why (laughs) against the wind? Why are you doing this? But, uh, and you realize how many times Michigan State would pass on a field goal and stuff in moments where like the Penn state game on a fourth and 14, you had to throw that touchdown to Jaden Reed where he won a jump ball. And you, uh, had to, uh, fight on, uh, fourth and man, fourth and somewhat manageable still against Pitt, but you still had to go for it on that. Like missing the kickers big. And so instead of just like chalking up those three points. And so for Michigan state to do what they did in that bowl game and to bounce back, um, after that Ohio State game where it's like, all right, well, there's not really a ton to play for right now at this point, it, I think it's absolutely huge. Yep, we we couldn't ask have asked for more. You know, and then one thing real quick on, on Matt Coglin. obviously you know that uh, we – our family knows the Coglins a little bit, that uh, Mark and Ann, who are uh, Matt's folks. The thing about Matt Coglin, yeah, he struggled, but w- with his hip injury – no, nobody was going to hold him back. This was going to be his his end of his career. He wanted that uh, that that record for the most uh, points in history, and he gave us he gutted out everything he could. And oh yeah, yeah he was shaky, but that dude has the heart of a lion. He he well, made two. The <laughs> made two times. That was real nice. That uh that um shakiness though during the D'Antonio era. You know, it kind of bugged me during the Tucker era. I think it was something that, like I said, he was just putting bad spots. You know, there's nothing you can do about that. But, uh, so, I mean, you just go out there and you try to make it. So, no problems with what he did. Absolutely none. And uh, he was big in getting a couple wins for Michigan State. Both yep, this we'll year. And, for sure. and, and even though Michigan State only had a couple wins last year, he uh, played a pretty pivotal role in uh, one of those. So, yeah, he's uh, – it's going to be interesting to uh, see where you go from there because obviously that whoever's replacing him isn't on the roster yet. But uh, we'll uh, be back Thursday. I was hoping to get Anthony Ianni on. I was texting him uh, while we were doing the show. And uh, unfortunately, he's going to be in a city I'm not going to mention with Chris on the show with me. Um, <laughs> but he's going to be in Green Bay. Uh, on business, so we're unable to get him to break down this game, but we're going to do what we can to get him on for a recap uh, to talk about Michigan-Michigan State basketball game happening this Saturday. That's it for football. 
but obviously transfers, declarations, and everything else, NFL declarations and stuff like that, all that type of stuff, we'll break those down uh, as we uh, give you everything that we just gave you for football, as we give you that for basketball coming up. Chris, thank you so much for filling in, man. Really appreciate it. Yep. For Chris Stanton, I'm Tyler Hayward. This is The Trouble with the Snap.